So we've been going through the book of Romans. Continue today with the subject being life. Now, the first week we talked that uh, all have sinned and the wages of sin are death. Can you turn that up a little bit? That'd be good. That'd be better. All of sin and the wages of sin are death. Then we said that God provided a way. And that every human being you've ever met finds themselves in one of two conditions. Either they are in Adam and dead in their sin. Or they are in Christ and therefore alive. Now, throughout that whole thing, God does. You are born into Adam and by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, God moves you from in Adam to in Christ. There's nothing you can do to change yourself so that you can become in Christ. The only thing you can do is believe in Jesus. And then the change happens. <clears throat> now, last week we talked about a separation a separation that happens in you between your old man and your new man. When I came to Jesus Christ, many things that God said would be true became true about me. I was dead. I then became alive. I, I did have a cold heart, black, cold stone black heart. He replaced it and gave me a living heart where he wrote his commands. I was bound for hell. Now I am saved. I was guilty and condemned. Now I am forgiven. All of these kind of things happened to me. I became a new man, a new creation. And for every one of you who are in Christ Jesus, the same thing happened to you. You became a new man. But right there with us is our old man. Crucified dead, yet still very much uh, impacting our lives. You see, before I came to Jesus, I learned how to make life work for me. And if somebody was being mean to me, I learned that I could be meaner than them. I could out-mean them and make life work. So I came to Jesus and I became a new man. And you know what I still knew? That when somebody was mean to me, I could still out-mean them. That didn't change, did it? So now I'm forced, forced with this choice, this what will I do? Will I separate from my old man? Putting to death the misdeeds of the body? Or will I still listen to my flesh, my sinful nature, and live from that? I have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. How will you live? That's what we talked about last week. Separating ourselves from our old man and living according to our new man. And we, we heard that by living according to our new man and living in that condition, that there is nothing that is able to separate us from love of God. So day by day, I start out with the intention of living by my new man, but my old man sucks me back in. The world, the flesh, the devil combine to provide temptation that is more than I can. And I fall and sin. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And nothing is able to separate me from the love of God. Nothing. So... 
we'll kind of pick up where we left off last week. That now I live according to the Spirit, and I'm set free from death. Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And there in one verse we get to cover both of my favorite words about the kingdom of heaven. Life and freedom. Through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit, who gives life. I, I keep trying to d- describe this better of what it means to have life. Because we see people walking around all the time. And it, remember, it reminds me, and I can't remember the name of it, but Bruce Willis was in it. And there was that little kid and he saw dead people. And they don't know they're dead. What's the name of that movie? Six? Sixth sense. Thank you. That little kid was really smart. I see dead people all the time. And they don't know they're dead. Right? I see stupid people and they don't know they're stupid. That happens too. But that's not the point today. It's about the life and dead people. And, and many, many Christians have life but yet they're living like they're dead nothing's changed but through Jesus Christ I have life in the spirit life fully alive I used to always think that eternal life meant that someday in the future I would die and raise from the dead and go to heaven and live forever and that's true except that's already begun I'm living forever now. My body, it's going to die. We all know that. But I am not my body. My body is the vessel I live in. Me, I'm alive. Fully alive. Because of Jesus Christ. See, Satan, my enemy, comes and attacks and tries to tear that down and make me think that I'm not alive. That nothing good is happening. That it's over. Give up. It's terrible. It's just not true. I have life to the full. And that life that I have through the Holy Spirit also sets me free from the law of sin and death. So the law of the sin and death goes like this. I get up in the morning. My flesh wants something. I see it. I think it will give me life. I pursue it. I grab it. It's not from God. I'm guilty of sin, under condemnation, deserving of death. And then I do the same thing the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And do you know there's a consequence of sin? And the consequence is death? And yes, my body's going to die. But for those who aren't in Jesus, they're dead. They're like zombies. They don't know they're dead, but they're dead. There is no life there. A slave to sin, they're called in Romans. They have no hope of being fully alive. But you, my friends, who are in Jesus Christ, you've been set free. I may sin, but I never have to again. And in fact, as soon as I sin, the price Jesus paid forgives me for that sin. 
Now, I still have consequences of sin here. And that's why I don't want to keep sinning, because of the consequences. The consequence of my sin gets all over me, and it gets on the people around me. Spreading death. I don't want to be an agent of death. I want to be set free from that. And I am. So here we have life and freedom. Praise be to God, I've been set free and I have life. Now what? What do I do now? Before we get into what do we do, I want to tell you what not to do. So, everybody knows now that there's no way that you can work to achieve salvation. There was enough books on grace in the 2000s that covered everybody. Everybody knows you're saved by grace. Right? There's nothing, no amount of good you can do to get saved. Now, after you're saved, there's no amount of good that you can do to maintain your salvation. It's not up to you to be good now that you've been saved. It accomplishes nothing for you to think, well, now that I've got the Holy Spirit, now I'll be able to keep the Ten Commandments. Mm, no, you won't. And even if you could, so what? Romans 9.16 It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Now I have to tell you, I'm pulling verses out of order and just random to make my point. And I'm telling you this now so that you'll go back and reread Romans to see if I'm lying to you or not. Okay? We're not opposed to pleasing God. Matter of fact, I want to please God. But we do not please God by my ability and my effort. I please God because I believe in Him. And place my faith in Him. Love Him. What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God. That's the greatest command. It's not depend, therefore, on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. You see, I spent many years, I wish you all could play back the video of my life so you could learn from the things I did, so you wouldn't have to do the things I did. I came to Jesus Christ and was saved, and then I began to real, work really hard to be a good boy. And to do the things that God wanted me to do. I would read through scripture, and it would say, turn the other cheek. So I'd say, well, by gosh, I'm going to turn the other cheek. And it would say, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing when you do acts of mercy and kindness. So, well, there, I'll do that. And I'd just read through the list and through the books and skip to the end of each epistle to get to where the list of the things to do are. Was very action oriented in my Christian walk. Because I wanted to be what Jesus saved me to be. The problem with that is I was doing all of that through my own effort. I'm going to learn a little bit more. Oh, did you know what this Greek word means? See, if you look at it this way, it changes everything. Aha, I get it. Now I'll be good. That's a lie. You'll never get there, friends. You'll have to find out on your own that it won't work. I can tell you this, but you won't really know it until you come to the end of yourself. So I'm encouraging you, come to the end of yourself quickly. So you won't wallow around in that for 40 years. It's a desert. 
You see, it's based on what God has done. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ. It's based on God's mercy, not me. It's not a lack of knowledge that keeps me from being a good boy. I don't have the ability in myself to do that. And the good news is God's mercy was this. God looked at me and said, Tony, you're a good boy. Period. You see how you became righteous? Not because of what you've done. You became righteous because of what Jesus did. He made you righteous by his act. Now, I don't want to fall off the horse one way or the other here, right? I'm not giving you license to sin and do whatever you want to. It's not the point at all. I'm telling you, you can't do the things God wants you to do unless Jesus is living through you. You can't achieve this on your own. You know what it's called when you try to achieve things on your own? Godlessness. Now, it's funny to me that you could be pursuing God in a godless way. But it's very common that we do that. So, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm alive and I've been set free. And it doesn't amount or depend on my human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If I had to take a survey of everybody I know that's a believer in Jesus Christ, I think this is probably number one on things that people don't believe is true. <laughs> God's not for me. God laid a trap. He set me up. He pulled back when I needed him. He didn't show up. He didn't answer my prayer. He didn't do that. How can I make you happy, God? We all have that. We believe that. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the big question is if. Do you believe God is for you? I know God is for you. And I know he is for me. And that changes everything, my friends. On our sign, it's been out there for about six months. It says, you only have to, God doesn't just love you, he likes you. Okay? The point is, God is on your side. And I don't know what you think of God. But Satan continually attacks what you think of God. A.W. Tozier said, the most important thing about a man is what comes into his mind when he thinks about God. What do you think about God when you think about God? Who is God in your life? What's he done? Does he care for you? God is for us. God is for us. I don't know how you start your day, but I would encourage you to say something like this. God is on my side. Wake up that way. You don't have to win God back over. You know how in relationships, I've been married a long time and I've made many stupid mistakes and said many really dumb things and, and I've had to work to win Lana back over, at least in my mind. That's why they sell those six foot teddy bears and the ten pound box of chocolates, right? So based on how big the sin I committed, then that's how big the bear needs to be. 
See, we, we, we think that way, that I've got to, well, I kind of made him mad, so here, let me give him a brownie to make him happy. By the way, that works. <laughs> Except, that's, we don't have to win God back over. He's on our side. God is for us. He is for me. When I wake up in the morning, God is saying to me, boy, Tony, go get him. I'm with you. I'm on your side. You got this today, Tony. That's what God's saying to me. Now, God is my cheerleader. Okay? He is rooting for me. But have you ever been to a sporting event and it doesn't really matter how much the cheerleaders cheer? The cheerleaders have never scored a point. Doesn't count if they do. Now the players like to be cheered. It, it makes them get back up and keep playing. When the blind ref makes the dumb call, the cheerleaders keep cheering and the, play, and the players keep playing. That's good to have a cheerleader. But it only goes so far, doesn't it? Because it's nice to be encouraged and motivated and know that somebody's on my side. But God doesn't stop there. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. God is for us. The Spirit of truth that came from Jesus Christ lives in me, has set me free. And, and the Spirit is in me to help me in my weakness. I have weakness. You do too. The Holy Spirit is in me to help in my weakness. Now there's one example here. When I pray. When I pray and I don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit works on my behalf. He intercedes and he prays the way it needs to be prayed. A rabbit trail about prayer. Prayer is not the last ditch effort when everything else didn't work. Prayer is our number one weapon and method and way to work. Prayer. Number one. Why is it listed here? Because it's the most important thing about you in your Christian life. is your prayer life. Now, Satan knows that. So he always interferes and tries to get us to not pray. Now, we've got our armor on. And we're, we're more like the parade guys in our armor, right? We're armored up and we're standing there ready to, in the parade form. Now we put our armor on because we're going to do something. We don't put our armor on to be in the parade. And so... God is on my side, and the Holy Spirit is there to work and help me in my weakness, which I have many. Um, why is the Spirit helping me? Remember I talked a little bit ago about being a good boy? Somewhere along the way, we got the idea of the whole purpose of the gospel was to make me be a good boy. 
That the whole reason Jesus came is so I could be good. I could be righteous. Is it important that I'm righteous? Yes. Was that the goal? <laughs> no. The goal is not to make me be good. I need to be good to do what God calls me to do. But what God calls me to do is the purpose. Salvation is not the end. Salvation is the door into the kingdom. And now I'm in the kingdom. Um, Romans 8.20 For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Here we are in this creation that God made that's living under a curse. Man was created to rule and have dominion over this creation. And man gave up that right and gave it to our enemy. Who is now called the prince of the air. The ruler of this world. Why did Jesus say, pray like this? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not everything that's happening on this earth is the will of God. And the kingdom of God is coming to invade and liberate this creation because the kingdom of God is not already here. See what I'm saying? Creation was subjected to frustration. And it needs to be liberated. Creation is being liberated. Jesus came to invade this earth to begin the restoration of all things. And how's it being done? Through us. Through us. That this creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now the liberation that we're bringing is not just to rocks and trees and water and dirt. The liberation is to people that need to be set free. The ones that are dead and don't know they're dead. The ones that are in bondage and think they have freedom. Why have I been set free? To liberate others. You see... Our enemy, man, he is so good at his craft. He's convinced the church that the purpose of the church is to make people good. No, the purpose of the church is to liberate creation from the decay and bondage and condemnation that it's under. Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom. Remember? Over and over and over it says that he came to talk about the good news of the kingdom. The coming kingdom. We are the coming kingdom. We're bringing that into the world. It's an invasion. There is a battle going on. We are at war. And you know this. You see it in your life. Try to help somebody. 
And what happens? Satan will try all kinds of things. Eventually even get in the very person you're trying to help to get mad at you. We have been changed so that we can engage in the liberation of creation so that people can be set free. I'm a new creation. Oh yes. And I am better for it. But that wasn't the end game that I would be better. I must be better to help with the liberation. You know, it's like bodybuilders. Bodybuilders work out so that they can show off pretty muscles. Is there anything more worthless than that? When you're done, you have pretty muscles? No. You work out and train so that you're strong, so that you can do the activity that you're called into. Football players lift weights. Why? So they can play football better, not so they can look better doing it. No offense to any of you bodybuilders, okay? More power to you. Keep going. I just used you as an example. Many Christians are Christian bodybuilders. I'm trying to be better. I'm going to look better. Oh, look, I kept the Ten Commandments all day today. Way to go, me. Yay. Job well done. No, there was no job done at all. You didn't do anything. You trained. The job is the liberation of creation. The job is not to become good. You must be good so that you can liberate. Okay? But the becoming good is not the end goal or the end game. It is the process so that you can be better at the liberation. Um, why does the world need liberation? Because of sin and death and destruction. Prayer time today was brutal, wasn't it? Mom's got cancer and grandpa's got cancer and the neighbor's got cancer and somebody else has epilepsy and somebody, we, the unspoken things, these man and wife can't stand each other and their marriage is falling apart and children and parents can't get along and work is bad and we're living in poverty and famine and pestilence and war and hatred. Don't you see it everywhere you go? Everywhere I look, that's what I see. Well, thank God I'm not like that. No. No, that's not the right response. The right response is, oh God, have mercy on us all. How can I love them? So that they might see you, God, and be liberated. How can I help? So, here it is. All this stuff just comes raining down on us. And Satan, and you know this, right? I often know how, how much, how good an event or a meeting or something's going to be based on how hard it is to get there. You know, everything comes in the way and I can't get to where I'm supposed to be. And I say, boy, this must going to be awesome. Satan's working overtime to keep this from happening. Instead of, God, where are you at? I need to be there. Why won't you help me? No, God is with me and he needs me to be there. And there's a battle I must fight to get there because it's for the liberation of all creation. And so Satan comes along 
And he just lays out everything he can to make life as bad as it can get. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not all things are good. Let's just get that out right now. Bad things happen every day to good people and to bad people. Christians get cancer. Christians' kids die. Christians get divorced and their family blows up. Just like non-Christians do. It happens all the time. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. So all of these bad things come into your life. And what does God do? He, he works them for good. Cancer's not good. And God never said cancer was good. But what good might come out of cancer? Well, I don't know. Maybe somebody's eyes get open and they see God accept Jesus Christ and become liberated. Or maybe somebody else develops perseverance to know that God is really with me and he never does leave me or forsake me. How does good work out? I don't know. It works out in all kinds of ways. I got fired from my last job and the new job I make twice as much money. Huh. How'd that work out? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Because God is on your side. And, you know, sometimes it's all I can do to not speak. When I hear somebody say, and so I normally speak. Well, God just needed them in heaven. So he took them. No. No. God didn't need that two-year-old in heaven with cancer. God didn't do that. This world is under a curse. It's under bondage and there's death and destruction. And it comes to everybody in all kinds of ways. And you didn't necessarily screw up your life to get this bad result that's in there. It just may not be your fault. I remember when cancer was new, right? And the big question is, well, I wonder how we got cancer. She didn't drink. She didn't smoke. She barely chewed. How'd she get cancer? See, we always think, I had a stomach bug last week. I guess I ate something wrong. Or I have a headache, so I guess I slept wrong. See how we always try to think that it's what I did that brought the consequence in my life? No, there's some of that. But there's many other ways that consequences come into your life. We have an enemy and we live in a world at war. And he intends things for bad. Our enemy intends to harm you. And God takes those things and turns them into a blessing for you. He works it for good. And that, my friends, is the ultimate smackdown of Satan. He came in and attacked my marriage to blow it up, to get us to get divorced. And instead, the love flourished and grew and we became even more one than we were before. Take that, Satan. See, God is really for us. Um, okay, why? Why? Back to why. Why did all this happen? God is with me. Why? The liberation of all creation. And what do I do now? 
Okay, you know there's an army in our country, and back in the day there was a draft. And you had to fill out your draft card, and then they'd pull your name out of the hat, and you got drafted. And no matter what was going on in your life, all of a sudden that got stopped, and you got to go be in the military. We haven't done that for a long time, but it'll come back someday. Many of us think the kingdom of heaven, the army of God is that way too. That I'm going to get, when God needs me, he'll draft me. It's not true. Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your body. Volunteer. Send me. I'll go. I can help with that. I have what it takes. I'm a new creation. I've been made holy. I know how to love people. Send me. Oh, 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 me. Pick me, pick me. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our enemy has got us so convinced that this isn't real. That people don't really need help. They don't really want help. They wouldn't listen anyway. You wouldn't know what to say. Just sit back on the couch and eat another brownie. Don't get involved. It's not your fight. Stay out of it. Brothers and sisters, in view of what God has done for you, I urge you, offer yourself to God. Here I am. Send me. God, I don't know what we're going to do today. I have to go to work provide for my family but I'm available for anything you call me into today God anybody you want me to talk to anything you want me to say or do anybody you want me to pray over or pray about I'm in God I'm available my body is at your uh, beck and call use me Jesus is alive today right And he could come and walk back on this earth. And he could use his hands and his mouth to do what he wants done. But that's not his plan. His plan is to use yours. That's why he needs your body. Your body has feet. It has hands. It has ears. It has a heart. It has a mouth. He needs it. So that he can speak through you. So that he can act through you to love someone. It's a good thing for you to offer your body to God. After everything that God did to give you the Maserati that you're living in now. It's only fitting that you offer it for his use. You used to be a clunker. Okay, no offense to you. Now you've been made new. I don't care how you physically evaluate your body. It doesn't look the way you want it to do. I don't care. God gave you exactly what you need to do the works that he prepared in advance for you to do. 
And this is the true and proper way to worship God. Give him yourself. I'm yours, God. Take me. You need me? Take me. Anything, anywhere, anytime. Without reservation. You see, it's a funny song. Please don't send me to Africa, God. I'll do anything you want. I'll write a big fat check. Just don't send me to Africa. See, I, church has been around a long time and they've had plenty of opportunity to write stupid songs and that's one. Um, do you think that God is mean enough to pick on you and punish you to make you go to Africa? See, is that your view of God? Oh, please don't send me to Africa. Wait a minute. Your loving Heavenly Father who is on your side. You think he's going to make you go someplace you don't want to go? You know what he's going to do? He's going to make you want to go there first. It's the way he works. He motivates you through desire. It's not cruel and unusual punishment. He's a loving God. And he wants you in his service. But God is all about free will. Free will. 